This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. And I'm coming to you live tonight from the Telephone City, Brantford, Ontario, I'm at my mom's place with the boys here to do a little fishing. We were at Mount Pleasant Ponds today. Uh, the uh, The boys were we were caught in a, a downpour, but the boys had rain ponchos. I uh, I sought a shelter under a tree. There was no thunder or lightning, so uh, it was a anyway. They were catching fish left and right every time they cast. Just little panfish, sunfish, and bluegills, but they had a great time. And hoping to uh, to get out fishing again tomorrow. Uh, before we get uh, rolling, happy Lord Simcoe Day tomorrow. I should say in about an hour, I guess officially. Uh, I know some of it call some of you call it the Civic Holiday. I don't know what that means. That's a rather sterile and nondescript name for a holiday. It's Lord Simcoe Day, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time before Lord Simcoe is canceled here in Ontario by North America's most ridiculous mayor and his silly council, Lord Simcoe and his good friend, Lord Dundas. They were the good guys. They were the progressives of their era. They fought to end slavery. And uh, what this whole woke left is doing, canceling people like Lord Dundas, renaming streets, It's just plain dumb. It really is just plain dumb. It is inconceivable to me that the left, which proclaims itself to be morally superior to the rest of us, can't even bother to crack open a history book and learn the truth about Lord Dundas. But these are the people who, uh, you know, we continue to vote into office These are not serious people. In fact, their ignorance makes them dangerous. Okay, now uh, I keep receiving emails from people who have signed up for my newsletter, Inner Sanctum, to let me know they haven't received July's issue. And that's because the newsletter is on summer hiatus. 
and I will begin publishing the monthly newsletter again in September. Keep signing up. By all means, keep signing up at strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then you'll start receiving Inner Sanctum directly to your email inbox once a month for free. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca to sign up. It's easy, fast, and absolutely free. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer. Ryan White is my live stream producer. Now, we should mention, uh, because of the nature of the content on tonight's program, we will not be live streaming on my YouTube channel. I already have two strikes against me. Third time you're out, and uh, rather than risk the channel being taken down permanently, uh, we're going to post this program to my Rumble channel. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to my Rumble channel. Go to rumble.com, rumble.com, and search under channels for Richard Serrett or Richard Serrett Strange Planet. I think either of those will work, Richard Serrett or Richard Serrett Strange Planet. And uh, eventually I'll be leaving YouTube entirely. All right. uh, Joseph A. Olson is going to be with us for the entire two hours. Science writer, uh, retired engineer, co-founder and senior fellow at Principia Scientific International. And we're going to talk globalism. We'll talk about the pandemic. We'll talk about graphene oxide. What is it exactly? What does it have to do, if anything, with the vaccine? And um, again, you can understand, I think, where we're heading and why we're not going to be live streaming on YouTube uh, tonight. Joseph Olson is, as I say, retired engineer, impassioned science writer, respected innovative thinker with over 100 major civil engineering and climate-related articles to his name. He's co-founder and senior fellow at Principia Scientific International, PSI for short. It's a self-sustaining community of impartial scientists from around the world, deliberating, debating, and publishing cutting-edge thinking on a range of issues without a preconceived idea of outcomes. Isn't that supposed to be the way it works? Joseph worked with uh, Dr. Timothy Ball and other scientists on an important science text debunking the greenhouse gas theory. And again, the website is principia-scientific.com. Principia-scientific.com. Joseph, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Do we have Joseph there? I'm not hearing Joseph for whatever reason. Oh, we're having some phone issues. I see. All righty then. I guess I'll just um, keep talking until we get Joseph back on the program. So what we'll also do uh, towards the tail end, I would say, we'll probably uh, converse, Joseph uh, and I, once we get him back on, uh, at the bottom of the second an hour. We'll open up the phone lines and uh, you can ask questions, offer your comments. Let me give you those numbers now. In fact, we may end up going to the phones uh, earlier than expected if uh, we continue to have difficulties raising Joseph. Anyway, the uh, the numbers to call in the greater Toronto area are 416 360 
0740-416-360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere, 866-740-4740. Again, 866-740-4740. That's toll free. And... Um, in the greater Toronto area, once again, 416-360-0740. And while we're waiting for Joseph Olson to join us from Principia Scientific International, just a programming note, next week uh, will be a, a replay program because I'll be hosting Coast to Coast AM that night. That's next Sunday. And so I won't be here to do a live program. However, we will... Um, dip into our audio audio archives and uh, and play a previously loved program all right do we, uh, carlos do we have uh, joseph are we able to raise joseph we appear to be having some phone issues just give me a message and let me know still having phone issues all right I'm not myself. sure i think we've got him i think we have joseph olson hey joseph can you hear me yes i heard you last time but then all of a sudden it went went dead this is a landline, so if, if push comes to shove, we can fall back on my cell phone. And I've got a really good 4G signal here, so that should work. Uh, Fantastic. There's no way that we could tiptoe around the fact-checkers at YouTube. And amazingly enough, there's also a fact-checker problem at Facebook, which just... Yeah, yes, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we have to talk about that. Before we do that... Because you've been on my, my podcast, you've been on with me on Coast to Coast, you've been on this program with me a couple of times, I think. But there may have been, there may be some new people listening that aren't familiar with Principia Scientific International. Just kind of give us the mission statement, if you could, Joseph. Why do you exist? Well, um, John O'Sullivan had a great idea back in 2010 to get a collection of authors and write a book that was based on the actual empirical science using thermodynamics and known radiation physics to explain why carbon dioxide could not possibly have any effect on Earth's temperature other than to be a, a low-level coolant. Are we still having a problem? No, I'm hearing you. I'm listening. Okay, okay. For some reason, I got a beep. And so anyhow, he got their collection of... Um, seven authors at that time from five different countries who had never met each other, and we all wrote article uh, or a chapter and put together Slaying the Sky Dragon as a book. And then we had trouble getting the book launched because, you know, they don't want to carry it in your major bookstores, and they don't want to have anything against the official words. So after our book launched, we decided that the only way to get wider exposure to the truths that weren't being read in our book was to form a society where we could have a, a daily, a weekly or possibly daily newsletter where we could put out articles that we had all vetted and approved as being traditional scientific method on a wide range of subjects. We cover enormous number of things that Principal Scientific. The last year we've really concentrated on this uh, pandemic thing so but basically we were covering you know astronomy geology archaeology um all of the physics chemistry 
Um, I've written articles on abigenic oil and had an interview with uh, George Norrie on that back on March 18th. Really good two-hour discussion about how the planet manufactures hydrocarbons, and they exist throughout the universe. You know, you've got giant uh, methane clouds forming nebulas around uh, constellations, and how in the world could you have that if it only comes from dead dinosaurs? So there's a wide range of science that we've been lied to about. Right. Well, that that then gets us into the larger question, and, and that is what has happened to science? What has happened to the scientific method and the way that the public is informed about scientific matters? And then obviously that will extend down into um, you know, the, 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 the pandemic and, and so forth. But let's just start with the scientific method. When did that all change? And when did you decide, or why, I guess, what was the, the point at which you decided, you know, we have to start reporting on the old scientific method, the way it used to be? Well, I think it was actually 2011 when we started uh, PSI. But you can go back to a quote by William Casey uh, February of 1981, right after Reagan took office in his very first board meeting with um, President Reagan. He said, we will know that our um, propaganda is successful when everything the American public believes is false. And so there's been a concerted effort across the board, not just in science, but certainly in history and current events, to shape a narrative based on desires of people at the top of the pyramid. Basically, you have a priest class that runs all of the science, and they're, they're in charge of all of the funding. And like I said in one of my articles about, we've spent, under Reagan, we were spending $20 million a year on uh, climatology, which is really a fake science anyway. It's no better than phrenology or alchemy. But we were spending $20 million a year in federal funding on it. Under uh, Big Bush, that jumped to a billion dollars a year. Under Slick Willie in 92, that jumped to $2 billion a year. So at the time we were writing about it, we had been funding over $100 billion for um, carbon endangerment findings. And like I wrote in one of my articles, if all you fund is findings for danger, danger is all you'll find. And so that's why we were right, able to link right. all these. When you have a hammer, when you have a hammer, everything. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Oh yeah, 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 and that's the nail they wanted to nail. And that's why they keep trying to come back and and saying that COVID is caused because of climate change. You know, it's absolutely absurd. They've got these certain little carts that they want to push, and every bit of it has to do with limiting the uh, freedom of the general individual in the on the planet. This is a, a very myoptic, um, feudalist system of, of organization. And so bottom line is you, you have two means of social structure. Either you have a society where you have informed consent, uh, by governance by informed consent, free speech, and property rights, or you do not. There's basically those are the only two ends of the spectrum. And what the Fabian socialist economists did was that they claimed that fascism and Nazism are right-wing, 
so they could frame a debate where that was right-wing, and then communism and Marxism were left-wing, and what was in the middle was progressive and socialism. So basically they set two, two margins and tried to keep the dialogue between those two. But if you actually look at the functioning of all of those systems, communism, fascism, Marxism, Nazism, progressivism, and socialism, they are all rebranded feudalism. And that's the problem. When you have a very powerful group of monarch monopolists that have been exercising feudal control over humanity for thousands of years, they don't want to turn loose of the control. And you can trace the organization of all of the major corporations and certainly all of the voting machines corporations all go back to the Privy Council and the, you know, so we don't want to get too deep into that, but basically you you can believe that everybody is an altar boy and an Eagle Scout and things just happen by random, or you can say there are people on this planet that don't have the best interest of the majority of the people on the planet. And so that's the reality that you have to face up to, is that there are people so, that are very nefarious. So so let, let's talk about a little bit about the evolution of a virus, because here's what I'm, I've been reading, that for a virus, you know, to jump from one species to another, uh, the way that we're told SARS-CoV-2 did, uh, that would, in, in, in nature, that could take hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, is that true? Yes. Well, con- here's the thing about viruses. They always have to have a living host. They're, they're, they're pretty much an inert little um, molecule that invades a host and then hijacks the host's replication system to manufacture more viruses, and a host can produce a thousand viruses before it finally busts the cell wall and releases those viruses so that they can go out and infect other cells. That's the, the hypothesis of it. But in the process of hijacking your DNA replication system, you, uh, the virus absorbs a little bit of DNA. So it's constantly being modified by its host tissue. And since no two hosts are the same, no modifications are going to be the same. You don't have a, a homogeneous feedstock for viruses to grow on. So viruses are going to be growing in, in different little vectors. And what happens is that either they get more virulent are they and they kill off all of their hosts, or they get less and less virulent, which is really what herd immunity is about. It's not that everybody gets sick and then has magic antibodies. What happens is is that is enough people are exposed to a virus, the virus is mutated by enough people that it does not end up being uh, as as virulent. And right, right. because the virus is, doesn't want to kill its host. The, the virus wants to survive. It doesn't want to kill its host, right? Well, that's you know pretty short-sighted unless you, the virus you're talking about is the feudalists that want to kill 90% of the people on the planet. We're their hosts, and they're just, they've decided now's the time to, to do their magic reset. So, But for instance, the smallpox virus, we have bone samples going back 80,000 years of human skeletons from a wide range of places on the planet. 
And the first identified smallpox infection was a Viking that was 10,000 years old. Now, that was probably a zoonotic transfer. Probably it was cowpox from a deer that he was eating or whatever, but something in his environment got into his body and infected him with smallpox. Smallpox had a low spread and a low fatality rate until about the uh, 1870s, at which point it started become an epidemic as it was getting more and more viral and more and more transferable. And that's when Jenner came up with the cowpox as a uh, vaccination. So he found out that if you gave somebody cowpox, that it was similar enough to smallpox that you could inoculate them and cause a resistance where they would not get the smallpox disease. So they had universal inoculation from in England from 1850 until 1950. And in 1950, they said there's no reason to inoculate anybody anymore because the virus had already mutated enough that the wild virus was no longer infectious at all. People would get it and just shed it and they never even know they had it. And so it was basically on its way out. They think that, that polio was due to poor um, septic sewage systems and possibly DDT and possibly impurities that were in the vaccines that were starting to be introduced at that time. And so that whole epidemic may not have been the epidemic that they claim it to be. Here's the problem. Um, we're discussing viruses which are smaller than the wavelength of visible light. So you cannot see them with an optical microscope. You can magnify something 60,000 times with light waves, but then you get light waves that are beyond visible light spectrum, and you cannot see anything smaller than that because the light wave doesn't have anything big enough to reflect off of, so it just passes right by the viruses. So you couldn't actually identify viruses until Wendell Stanley identified the first one with an electron microscope in 1931 and won the Nobel Prize for it in 1946. So anything that you concocted in the way of a Petri dish to claim that you you'd, uh, had some kind of magic fluid, they didn't even have a real uh, name for viruses because it was just a fluid until they could actually right. see one and then go... But then there's another school of thought that says the whole. Okay, Joseph, I got to jump in here though for a second because we've got to take a yeah. timeout. We'll yeah. uh, we'll be back on the other side. Joseph A. Olson, senior fellow, senior fellow, co-founder of uh, Principia Scientific International. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Joseph A. Olson stays with us, retired engineer, science writer, senior fellow, co-founder, Principia Scientific International and co-author of Slaying the Sky Dragon, Death of the Greenhouse Gas Theory. Uh, we were talking about the uh, 
about viruses. And uh, um, I wanted to get into a discussion about based on the available information that you've seen. Was SARS-CoV-2, to your mind, created in a lab through gain of function? I think it's pretty unequivocal. That's what all the records show that Fauci and his good buddy at the microbiology lab funded. So, yeah, and and it also appears that Ebola and MERS and SARS were also bioweapons. So we've had a very nefarious program going for a long time. If if a, if if a virus is manufactured, is there a particular sequence that you could identify and say, "Aha, there is the marker. We know that this is not a naturally occurring virus. This was manufactured." Uh, yes, there is. There again, you've got the DNA from the the virus it's, or the RNA in the virus itself, which has host DNA matter in it. So if you've got a sequence that came from HIV and you've got a bat that, that lived in a very remote area of China that suddenly appears 800 miles away from its natural habitat, and then it's combined with other uh, zoonotic uh, DNA, then it's pretty obviously that this was something that somebody got together with their CRISPR gun and just started doing some gene splicing. So, so I'd say the when we heard, probability. Okay. Yes. When Go we ahead. heard from various institutions that they had isolated the virus, in other words, in, I mean, and you can't create a vaccine unless, presumably, unless you've isolated the virus first. But if that marker is indicating that it is manufactured, that it is not naturally occurring, when somebody identifies or isolates the virus, wouldn't it be painfully obvious to them? Wouldn't it scream out to them, this is man-made? Well, that's what the first group in India published, and then they were immediately forced offline by all of the big publishing and, and science funding organizations. And then a year later, it popped up that, oh, yeah, it does look like it does have four segments of HIV uh, RNA inside the the isolated virus. But there again, you know, there's a lot of confusion at this point. I'm ready for all of microbiology to have a worldwide symposium and lay all of the current theories and all of the current facts on the table and have a wider range of scientists than just the ones that are in the crooked peer pal review process review the material and come up with a better consensus because there's quite a few doctors including Andy Kaufman and um, Dana Bush and half a dozen others and I intended to get something written up but I just didn't get it to PSI today we're gonna the FDA came out with a list of the dirty dozen doctors that are spreading misinformation about how wonderful vaccines are, and I was going to add another dozen to that list so that people would have a group of scientists that are highly qualified and, and medical experts that they could go to and 
spend some time doing some alternative research. And what Kaufman's saying is that antibodies are just um, exosomes and the same thing with viruses and that they're just debris that's left over after the T cells, which are really the infection fighters of the body, have done their work. And so, you know, there's a lot of conflicting material and since we, we don't have the ability to have a level playing field to discuss all of these alternative theories, at this point, everything's still nebulous. But as far as I'm concerned, the preponderance of the evidence is that everything that's been based on the 1895 Pasteur germ theory and the 1910 Flexner report, which was paid for by Rockefeller, and which he used to create the AMA, and the Rockefeller Institute and John Hopkins University is all very suspect at this point. And their behavior since then has been even more suspect. You were describing the size of the virus. And I don't even know I don't know why at this point it's even controversial to discuss the efficacy of masks. It has often been explained, uh, you, you mentioned the Dirty Dozen, I think I've probably talked to some of them on my, I have a, uh, a daily afternoon show, Dr. Peter McCullough has been on the program a number of times, um, uh, Dr. Robert Malone has been on the program, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, uh, and, and when I talk to McCullough or, or others, and we talk about the efficacy of masks, to me it's, or to them rather, it's just, it's so painfully obvious that a mask uh, is like a chain link fence, and the virus is like a mosquito. A mask cannot possibly stop a virus. Can you can you talk to me about that? Well, you've got a virus that's um, twenty nanometers, and you've got a mask that even if it's the best N95 quality mask is three hundred nanometers. So yes, you can pass. I think we lost you there holding hands and dancing side by side through the mask without a problem. The problem with the mask is that it does um, restrict the exit of carbon dioxide. So instead of being uh, exhaling all of the carbon dioxide, and it also catches mucus and bacteria, and then you're re re-inhaling that. So what happens within two minutes of putting a mask on is that your blood level oxygen drops from 20% to 18%, which is the OSHA limit for safe occupancy. So if you're working in a mine or you're doing work inside a ship hold or you're down doing tunnel work, OSHA, OSHA has oxygen meters, and they say exit the work zone. You don't have enough oxygen in your blood system. So, you know, you're doing something that's dangerous to your health for no benefit at all. It's virtue signaling. Um, unfortunately, from my end, for whatever reason, I, I lost a bit of your conversation, although I, I'm, I'm told that the audience can hear you, but I, there's a, there were a few gaps there. So let me just ask another question related to that. What about the N95 mask? What does the N and the 95 mean, and is an N95 mask any more effective? Mm, this has stumped the professor hour. I, I, I just know that that's the nomenclature that they use, and I'm not sure why, and I'm not sure that the, what the 95 signifies. It's not, it's not anything that I'm familiar with, and, it's, and since we know they're useless, it's really not that important to understand, you know, 
that particular thing from my standpoint. So I just didn't, I just didn't look it up. I'm I'm online oh, okay. right now, but I'm look, actually looking up a, another uh, John Hopkins um, event that I didn't have listed on my previous article. Um, I you know, we were talking briefly about the um, smallpox, and I wrote right yes. try voodoo, which is sequencing of the Varroa virus, which um, indicates that it entered the human population about 10,000 B.C. with Chinese references from 400 B.C. and Egyptian mummies with smallpox from 300 B.C. So it was pretty much worldwide. Around 1700 A.D. in, in Europe, it started um, expanding. And then in 1796 is when Edward Jenner did the first cowpox inoculation. 1853, UK made vaccination mandatory. And by 1948, UK no longer had uh, mandatory vaccinations for smallpox. We still had them in the United States, and they made a big deal about ending smallpox. Um, I think the final cases were in India. Uh, around the uh, 60s or 70s, but it was a disease that was on its way out anyway, because there again, either you're becoming more and more virile and more and more infective, or you're becoming less and less, and you're becoming less and less, then it, the systems are self-extinguishing. All right, we have another uh, break here, so we'll uh, take another time out. We'll come back and discuss uh, the COVID vaccines. You know, now we're hearing, of course, that even if you've had the vaccine or two jabs of the uh, genetic therapy, let's call it, uh, that you can still spread COVID. Although that's not really being widely communicated by our public health officials, because that would seem to undermine this whole idea of medical segregation. If you've had the vaccine, you go over here. If you haven't had the vaccine, you go over here. Uh, we'll uh, discuss. Joseph Olson is Senior Fellow, Co-Founder at Principia Scientific International, principia-scientific.com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. We're back with Joseph A. Olson, co-founder and senior fellow at Principia Scientific International. Principia-scientific.com is the website. Um, so I had Dr. Robert Malone on the um my, my uh, daily afternoon show on Saga 960 AM, uh, the uh, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. And uh, he acknowledges it's it's not a vaccine. It's a gene therapy. I mean, if you have a if you have a vaccine where you can still get covid or sorry, you can still get SARS-CoV-2, you can still transmit it, you can spread it to other people. Does that fit the definition or maybe the old definition of what a vaccine is? Well, the old definition of vaccine was that it it was either a dead virus or it was antibodies that were produced using a live virus. And that's what they in, infected you with, with the hopes that that was going to uh, 
stimulate your immune system to recognize and respond more rapidly to an invasion of that type infection. But there again, you know, the whole hypothesis behind vaccination needs, needs to have an open public debate. And to not leave one question unanswered, the N95 is, N is for National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. That's where the N comes from. And the 95 means that it filters out 95% of airborne particles, but it doesn't filter out gases, vapors, and it certainly doesn't filter out viruses. So that answered that question. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I mean, that, it, it's, it, this is where we're at now. It, it's even controversial to say what I think most doctors have known, most scientists have known up until now, and they've suddenly forgot it, that, that masks cannot stop a virus. Uh, now, it's, now you can't say that. It's blasphemy. It's, it's very uh, interesting what's happening here. Um, I want to talk about graphene oxide. I keep hearing this come up. Graphene oxide in association with the uh, with these vaccines or these gene therapies. Uh, I'm reading that it's absolutely false that there is graphene oxide in these vaccines. Others are saying no, it's there. First of all, what is graphene oxide? Well, graphene is a six-sided um, crystalline form of carbon, and you know just because of the uh, outer shell electrons on carbon, it wants to form little beehives. And so if you just think about a single layer of atoms that are connected in the shape of a beehive, that's what graphene is. And, and so it would be a, a two-dimensional sheet, a single atom thick. And you can roll those and make nanotubes with it and then you can use the nanotube as a delivery system, and they also are receptive to uh, certain radio frequencies, and it will cause them to join together. So you can have self-assimilating uh, units. So it could be that that part of the RNA is that these things had to be kept at a really low temperature in order to uh, transport them and, and keep the RNA from decomposing because it's a pretty unstable molecule. And so they wrapped them in nanotubes, which then could be activated by 5G or by body temperature to open up and release the mRNA, which appears to be what the first round of um, vaccine doses were. But they're no longer delivering doses at uh, minus 80 degrees you know, Fahrenheit. They're not delivering them in dry ice like the first rounds that were. So, and they're not providing the safety data sheets on any of the vaccines, so you don't really know what what they're, they're claiming to have put in the substance. And they're claiming that they have a, a thing where they can say it's proprietary information, and that's what we think they're using the graphene for. And there was a woman who was interviewed on Stu Peter's show, uh, Karen Kingston, who was a patent researcher with Pfizer for a decade. And that was her job to go around with their new patents and review other people's patents to find out what was actually uh, in 
in the other patents and if there was patent conflicts and if there were you know argue with the attorneys and get everything sorted out so that was her job she said unequivocally that graphene is one of the secret sauce things that's listed as proprietary in the Pfizer vaccine for certain and then also we had a strange ruling or an opinion issued by an assistant attorney general uh, under A.G. Garland's office that said that uh, governments and uh, private businesses had the right to mandate uh, experimental vaccine injections. And she absolutely tore that to pieces. It's a great interview. It's about 20 minutes long. Stu Peters with uh, Karen Kingston. And I'll send you that link if you want to put it in the show notes because it's a great interview but she listed sure we can do that what so just she listed at least four. we're coming up on a break here okay okay we're just uh, we're coming up on a break though i just want to um we've got about a minute and a half here is graphene oxide in and of itself toxic well here's what i just found on that graphene oxide uh if you go to a a, a website called particle and fiber Toxicology. Uh, it says graphene uh, is toxic to human beings, and this was a study that was published in 2016. So they've known that it was, and there again, I can send you the link to that. Matter of fact, I think I might have already done that. But yeah, I think you it, did as well. It's absolutely toxic in even small quantities. All right. When we come back, I want to revisit uh, exactly what it's doing reportedly in the vaccine, what's it, what it's intended to do, how gra- graphene oxide uh, is supposed to work. Back with uh, more of my conversation with Joseph A. Olson, senior fellow, co-founder of Principia Scientific International. Back with more in a moment. A moment. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. So, you know, for the record, I mean, if you go online, all the fact checkers are saying there is no graphene oxide in the vaccines, in the COVID vaccines. Factcheck.afp.com, uh, Forbes magazine wrote a piece, there is no graphene oxide in the vaccines. Uh, and yet, uh, Joseph, you say this, should we call this person a whistleblower uh, at Pfizer? Says absolutely there are graphene oxide uh, nanotubes inside these vaccines. Oh, so people are going to have to... She's a very yeah. well-informed whistleblower. So, so let's let's talk about these these graphene oxide nanotubes. If in fact they are in the vaccines, what are they? Are they uh, are they acting as um, um, an adjuvant, or what are they supposed to do? Well, you know, it's it's hard to figure out what these people are up to. Uh, graphene is not a real stable molecule, so it can actually be defeated by. Uh, several different chemical processes, so it's short-lived. But the problem is, is if it's causing blood clots, and particularly if it's causing micro blood clots, and that's what Dr. Charles Hoff, out in Leiden, uh, Canada, 
discovered yeah, out I in talked British to him Columbia too. Yeah. with his population that they were having uh, problems breathing, that they couldn't, they couldn't, um, they were winded really quick, and that they had loss of the motor skills in their hands and feet because those are where the smallest capillaries are, and those would be the easiest to be plugged up with microclots, which he said are detectable only with a de-dimmer test. And so he started yes. testing his patients, and he was saying, sure enough, the, you know, these, these people are having microclots, and you're not going to be able to solve that with your normal um, blood clotting medications, which is, would be like a heparin would be one that you use as an anticoagulant, and, you know, uh, let's see, another one would be uh, natkinase, which dissolves blood clots, uh, revesitrol, which is actually from red wine and what they claim is part of the Mediterranean diet that you can, in French diet, where you can eat a lot of cholesterol and not have a problem because of revesitrol. It's also antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and uh, it can reduce clotting. So, you know, bottom line is, you know, we, we're coming up with a, a, a group of symptoms that you shouldn't have if you, if you had a safe vaccine. And if you had a safe vaccine, you would have already done animal testing on this, which they managed to skip, which I, I think is a criminal act on the part of the FDA and the CDC to allow experimental medicines on human beings without having experimental medicine uh, trials on animals, which the three previous trials for MERS, SARS, and uh, Zika had all used the same mRNA technology and all had 100% mortality within weeks of, uh, of testing with ferrets and mice. So if it's not safe for ferrets and mice, and then you're going to take the same technology and say, well, now we've got an emergency problem. We have to use this on humans. Uh, I think that's a pretty immoral position to take. And at this point, with millions of people having adverse reactions, I think it's well past point where we need to suspend this trial. So uh, you mentioned Dr. Charles Hoff. Again, I, I spoke with him, I think it was last week on my, my other radio program. He said 62% of his patients that had two jabs uh, or one jab had blood clotting. Some of it was even unnoticeable for them. Um, he seemed to lay the blame at the feet of the spike protein. So is it the spike protein or is it the graphene oxide? And what, what, what is the difference? The spike protein is, is the outer portion of the crown appearance on the virus itself, and it's what sheds. And so the virus, if you've got a 20 nanometer virus, you're talking a hundredth of a nanometer spike protein. And those are what's actually caused the... Uh, they're called prions, and that's what the cause of um, mad cow disease. And so you're basically, and they've they've started discovering that same condition inside uh, autopsies of people that have died after having the jabs. So again, the the connection with the graphene oxide nanotubes and and the spike proteins is there a connection i'm just trying to ascertain what might be at the root of this clotting is it the is it the spike proteins or is it the nat, the graph the the uh the graphene 
Well, I think what the original purpose of the graphene was was a delivery system that they could coat with um, polyethylene glycol, which if you put it in the radiator of your, of your car, it's called antifreeze. But if you wrap a nanoparticle with it, you can carry a mRNA package that would decompose at higher temperatures inside a um, minus you know, zero-degree thermos and deliver that to a subject and use that as your delivery system for an mRNA that once it's inside your body, it can start going into cells and doing its, its cell modifications, which is actually what this is doing. This is rewriting your body's DNA, which to me is a, is a criminal act. So that's, but, but I, what I think has happened, and this is just speculation on my part, but, but based on the studies that have come out of Spain that, where they said that 95% of the um, Pfizer vaccine was nothing but graphene oxide, I think they've decided, well, since we don't have to show what our ingredients are anyway, and since it's more difficult to manufacture and transport the mRNA technology, and we've already infected a certain percentage of the population with that, then let's just go ahead and go straight to to a a very easily produced and cheap uh, toxin that we know will have about a 10 to 12-month lead time for for symptoms to show up. So that's what it appears to me at this point. It, you know, it, it's just it's just hard to believe. Oh yeah, here we go. Prions calls spongiform encephalopathy, which is what we commonly call mad cow disease. But right. another interesting article came out and this was on the June 22nd uh 2021 issue of Nature magazine ivermectin versus SARS-2. Ivermectin is a fungus that was discovered in Japan in 1967, had amazing um, success in treating river blindness, and so it's been on the um, WHO's list of mandatory medicines along with hydroxychloroquine, and both of those have been effective at preventing and curing the SARS-2 patients. So if you have two well-known, and it's just off-label use for two well-known and respected and safe treatments, then you had no reason to have an emergency uh, authorization because you already had treatments and you had cures and you had preventative. So there's another criminal act on the part of the FDA and CDC by even authorizing this stuff when they had treatments. So, you know, it's pretty pretty disturbing that there are people that are like this. Well, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, I mentioned, who was on my program a number of times, and he testified before the, uh, the Senate, I believe it was uh, the Homeland Security Committee hearing, uh, talking about how there, there, there was initially interest in developing some antivirals and some off-label use. You mentioned ivermectin and hydroxy. Uh, but all of a sudden then, it was, never mind any of that, it's all about the vaccines and only the vaccines, and we're not interested in any anything else but the vaccines. So in effect, 
what you had was there was zero standard of care. There was only get your vaccine or or nothing. There was no standard of care. Why? Well, why were they, they just, so? They, in, uh, go ahead. They just released the Nasdaq um, performance for the second quarter of 2021, and Pfizer made 19 billion dollars in profit. Their Alexis drug, which is um, used to treat blood clots, was up 13 percent, and their uh, Vendaquil drug which is used for cardiomyopathy, is up 77%. So if you're allowed to make $20 per jab on a, a mandatory, soon-to-be mandatory experimental vaccine that causes blood clots and uh, heart failure, and then you also sell medicine that, that treats blood clots and heart failure, it's a pretty good business model for you. But for the rest of the planet, this is not really what we want, you know? No, it's, so, a, it's a good racket. They've got us coming and going. Joseph, uh, we're at the top of the hour. We'll take a time out. He'll stay with us second hour as well. We'll open up the phone lines, questions, and comments. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after these. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. And a big howdy, how are you to everyone tuning in on our flagship station, AM 740, 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. And hi there to those of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. Hey there to those of you streaming us live on ZoomerRadio.ca. And just a reminder, due to the content of tonight's show, we are not live streaming on the uh, YouTube channel, Strange Planet. However, this program will be posted to my Rumble channel in the next couple of days. Go to rumble.com, rumble.com, and search under channels for Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And don't forget to uh, subscribe while you're there. Science writer, co-founder, senior fellow at Principia Scientific International, uh, Joseph Olson stays with us. He's the co-author of Slaying the Sky Dragon, Death of the Greenhouse Gas Theory. And we are talking about uh, the pandemic. We were talking about the vaccines. We've been talking about uh, one of the reported ingredients in the vaccine, which has been denied by the fact checkers, graphene uh, oxide, oxide nanotubes. I'm mentioning fact checkers. Uh, it was just revealed recently about the so-called fact checkers at Facebook. What's going on there? What can you tell us about these fact checkers at Facebook? Uh, uh, they're funded by a group that owns billions of stock in Johnson and Johnson, and the director of the company that is doing the funding for them is a former CDC director. So. <laughs> You know, no conflict of interest on the part of the 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 poke police, which is one good name that I've heard for them. 
and I really like using the term jab because that that is a little more invective about what these people are actually doing. Um, just to to back up a little bit and avoid using the term uh, circle back, but anyhow, the Rockefeller <laughs> yes. Foundation. I think we all want to strike that from the vocabulary. Oh, it, it's so overused. Anyhow, the Rockefeller Foundation and John Hopkins University had a war game um, simulation called Operation Lockdown in June of 2001 based on biowarfare gaming. Then NASA had Future Wars 2025 in July of 2001, and a great um, video on that is Aaron and Melissa Dykes, who were formerly with um, uh, InfoWars, went out on their own, and they own TruthStreamMedia.com. And so if you go to NASA Future Wars is already here, it's very disturbing. A hundred PowerPoint slide, uh, almost an eight-hour long lecture by NASA, how they were going to use trauma-based mind control in order to enact lockdowns and force inoculations. And this is in 2001. Um, had Operation Dark Winter, Scenarios for Future Technology in 2010, the Claude X Pandemic Simulation in 2018, and then Event 201, the Corona Pandemic in 2019. So right. gaming using biological weapons has been a standard format for these people for decades. You mentioned dark winter. Joe Biden kept using that during the campaign. Do you remember? It's going to be a dark winter, a dark winter. He was referring then to this tabletop war game scenario? Yes, June 2001. Operation Lockstep, down, scenarios for future technology, Claude X pandemic, event 201. They, they've been wargaming this down to the minute detail, the news broadcasting, the uh, anticipated public responses, the pushback, the how they were going to fight the pushback, you know, the, the complete control of media. But the most disturbing thing was that NASA was in there, and they were saying they were going to use trauma-based mind control in order to control the population for the continuation of government. And for continuation of government, that doesn't mean the you know the nice wonderful government we all you know eat hot dogs and and kiss babies and uh, you know uh, play baseball over. This is the government that is the dark government that is operating around the world, transporting drugs and, and trafficking human beings and organs and uh, weapons. And this is the government that we don't know about that is concerned with preserving itself, and it's also concerned with destroying the rest of humanity, I'm convinced at this point, which is really sad that, that these people have this level of power and that they've had this power for centuries. And yet, information is now coming out. Even the CDC has had to admit, and Dr. Fauci admitted, that if you've had the vaccine, even if you've had the vaccine, you can still spread it. You can still get it, but you can still spread it. If you've had the vaccine and you can still spread it, then what is the what is the possible rationale for 
vaccine passports. What difference does it make if you've had a vaccine or you haven't had a vaccine? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the problem when you try putting logic to evil. It's like uh, you can't find any logical reason for following the evil agenda. So I, uh, I heard Dr. Robin Armstrong, who was on uh, President Trump's medical advisory board, and he's a Texas um, doctor, and then also Dr. Uh, Stella Emanuel, who is one of the frontline doctors. And she's suing CNN for slander over their statements about HCQ. And amazingly, you can go to um, Fauci's own funded studies. This is an article that was published by Brian Fisher, and it's Dr. Fetzer's site, uh, jamesfetzer.org. Fauci knew about HCQ in 2005. Nobody needed to die. And it was based on an article in, in reference, a Fauci-funded article. High, uh, chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. This is Fauci writing this article. Well, this was a Fauci-funded article in 2005 uh, when they had right. the first you know, SARS-1. Right, they, they praising the effectiveness of, of, right. And, and, and um, vitamin D, uh, Anthony Fauci used to brag that he took 9,000 uh, IUs, international units a day, uh, 9,000 international units a day of vitamin D. And now nobody talks about vitamin D. Oh, yeah, and almost everybody is vitamin D deficient, and it's a wonderful thing to have. Uh, then what Fauci did is, is back in February of, uh, two th- of 2020, when Trump said that he was using HCQ, he, uh, Fauci rushed over to the Veterans Administration and said, I need you to do a real quick test on a bunch of uh, veterans that have um, COVID, and let's see if we can prove that HCQ doesn't work. So this is a, an article that was published at medrxiv.org, Outcomes of HCQ Usage in U.S. Veterans with Coronavirus. So they took veterans that were already sick, which is not the best use of HCQ. It can work as a cure, but if you're already really sick, it's past the point where HCQ is effective. But what they did is instead of providing the best standard of care for our veterans, they selected 368 patients, divided them into groups, they gave them substandard care, and out of those groups they were able to kill up to 28% of the veterans so that he could turn around and say that HCQ was dangerous. So, you know, these are are the men that we honor their service by in uh, overdosing them with a cure that, is past the point where it is a cure so that we can turn around and demonize a cure for the rest of the people in our population. Um, I think it was McCullough that said that had he used HCQ, 85% of his patients would never had an, uh, needed to be hospitalized. And I was at the rally right, right. In, in Texas on May 9th when they um, busted... Shelley Luther, who is the Harris, I wrote an article on it called Remember the Alamode Review. It's posted at, actually at the Texas AMA website of all places, but also at PSI and at James Fetzer's site. And they had a doctor there named um, um, Yvette Lozano, 
who is a uh, practicing doctor in the Dallas area, and she'd given all of her staff HCQ for a couple of months at that point, and then she had treated at that point of 30 patients. And when she announced that at the rally, the Texas uh, AMA sent an order over to the Texas Medical Board, which is just a puppet uh, group of teen people appointed by the governor, some of them doctors, some of them not, and then they turned around and um, were going to revoke her license. They were also going to revoke the license of Robin Armstrong and Stella Emanuel. So uh, really disturbing the way that the medical mafia operates. They have complete control over the AMA, which I also included in one of my articles, and I'll have to dig that one up while we're we're discussing other things. I'll do a quick review of the AMA because it's it's pretty disgusting. Um, well, we have uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons up here in Canada, and you mentioned, or we both were talking about Dr. Charles Hoff earlier, who is reporting 62% of his post-jab patients have blood clots. 62% of his post-jab patients have blood clots, and uh, he is being threatened by the British Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. They want, they would like to take away his license if he doesn't stop speaking out about these adverse uh, vaccine events. And uh, same thing in Ontario, doctors who speak out uh, are being censored or, or being threatened with having their license revoked. And um, I don't know, whatever happened to, you know, one of the most important tenets of of medicine, which is first, do no harm. I don't, I, I don't understand how, in good conscience, these these governing bodies can be treating doctors that are that are speaking out about this in such in, in this way. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't either. American Medical Association was founded in 1847. Has approximately. Uh, uh, 250,000 members. The Texas AMA is the largest chapter in the nation. Um, and the thing about the AMA is that they're able to buy group liability insurance, which is one of the highest costs that a doctor's office faces as far as operational costs is their liability insurance. And if you can't buy group rates through AMA, you pretty much can't have a private practice. And that's what basically, so they're, they're in an extortion racket to keep the AMA going. And then the directorship of AMA, they're not involved in treating patients. They're the ones that are like running the hospitals. And so they don't have a problem of ordering like Methodist Hospital did all 26,000 employees to get an experimental jab. And they make money from the pharmaceutical industry directly, so they definitely don't have a problem. Um, and then right after they started making these announcements, there was an a, uh, article in, here in Texas that said private practice clinics suffer 50% reduction in patients and revenue. And so when I wrote my article, uh, Woo Flu at Warp Speed, if you like your doctor, you can keep your artificial intelligence virtual reality version of your robot doctor. Because apparently what they're trying to do is completely destroy the private medical practice where you have small doctors that 
you know, can't afford the liability insurance, and so they have to be members of the AMA, and then the AMA turns around and says, no, we're perfectly fine with not allowing you to use ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, and we're perfectly happy with uh, you being forced to be vaccinated. It's crazy. It's beyond crazy. It's it's um, it's bloody frightening is what it is. Um, I want to ask you about the variants. We keep hearing about the Delta variant, the Delta Plus variant, the Lambda variant. Uh, and But we're also hearing from Dr. Roger Hodkinson, who is, uh, I don't know if he's on the Dirty Dozen list or not. He's a um, Royal College trained pathologist. He was the, uh, I believe, the chief pathologist in Edmonton. He's been very outspoken. Um, I've asked him about whether the vaccines are causing the variants. I've also talked to um, Dr. Peter McCullough about this and others. They all seem quite certain the vaccines are, in fact, Oh, and uh, also uh, Professor uh, Luc Montagnier, the the, co- the co-discoverer of HIV, Nobel Prize winning virologist, uh, wrote this, this study saying the vaccines are causing the variants. Does that make sense to you, that the vaccines are responsible for these variants? Well, first of all, it's it's really difficult to isolate the um, the base virus, which would be the, you know, SARS-2, and then to say that you also have variants of that when they've done very few autopsies to actually isolate the virus in in anybody that's died. So there's a, there's a school of thought that there's no virus ever been isolated, number one, so how could you isolate a variant? And the next thing is there's 24 letters in the Greek alphabet, so how soon are we going to run out of letters just like we run out of hurricane names, you know? I mean, it's like they can keep going on variants forever and saying, well, now you have to have this booster jab, and now you have to put your mask back on, and now you have to put two masks on, and now you have to lock down. And and whatever they haven't destroyed in the way of our civil society before uh, is on on the chopping block now. It's absolutely criminal. That's the plan, isn't it, is to to slowly just wear us down until we all, even the ones that hold out, the, the last ones to hold out for the vaccine, it's it, to take away every last little bit of freedom until we all just surrender. I mean, that's the, the, the aim. They, they are insistent that 100% of us take the vaccine, but they're going to do it by wearing us down. Is that it? That's what it appears, and that's what a whole rest, a whole bunch of people in the rest of the planet have started to figure out. They're having massive protests all over Europe, uh, particularly France and and um, Italy, and they've had brutal uh, beatdowns by the police in Germany, and then Australia's uh, fixing to explode. So, you know, it, I'm just shocked that we can't seem to put together a decent rally in Texas. I went to 30. Um, stop the steal and open Texas rallies in Texas last year, and I don't think there was more than 300 people at any one of those rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what we're facing then is this time, and I've always said that this is kind of a beta test. Uh, 
so there'll be another variant or there'll be another pandemic and we'll be told you have to take the jab for this one. And then next week it'll be something else and you have to take the jab for that one. And if you don't have your passport and you don't have your jab, jab you are excluded from functioning in society. That's it. That's where we're heading, right? Well, then they've got those other threat vectors. They can shut down the food supply. They can shut down the um, the petroleum supply, just like they did with the Colonial Pipeline. They can uh, shut down the power supply, like they did in Texas during the big freeze. They've they've got the ability to shut down virtually everything that makes life functional. So you know we've got enormous number of vi- uh, vulnerabilities, and they've got all of the threat vectors. I mean, we're talking the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which the Bible probably didn't get it correct, but, you know, you can give them, a, give them the benefit of the doubt because they were 2,000 years ahead of the curve. But the way the current, the current four horsemen are, it's war, famine, pestilence, and, and plague. And so, you know, they own war, they own pestilence, which would be, you know, your biodegradation elements uh famine and then plague and so they own they own the monopolies have the power to control all four of those force vectors against us and they have the will to do it and and that's where we are as as a as a world at this point and it's not even as a nation the whole world is suffering under this yoke of tyranny so I wish I found a, a happy way out of it, but at this point, the only happy thing I see is that a lot of people are waking up, and like I say, every epiphany is permanent. Once you wake up, you can't be put back to sleep, and you can only be lied to by those you trust, and once you no longer trust these people, then we can start saying, okay, you have no power over us because we do not trust you, and any power you exert is... Um, is extrajudicial, and so we will not follow your rules, and we will just we will not obey your lockdowns. We will not obey your masks. We will not allow you to inoculate our children against our will. You will we will not allow you to inoculate us against our will, and uh, we just need to push back. And there's some exciting things happening, particularly in regards to the voting systems, which have probably put puppets in place worldwide. And I really don't think that the people of Canada wanted Twinkle Toes Trudeau, and I don't think the people of Australia wanted Danny Boy Andrews, and I don't think the people of France wanted Micron Macron. And so bottom line is these people were all installed by crooked Dominion, uh, parent company voting machines. And even though there's like eight voting machine manufacturers, here in Texas we use Heart InterCivic and election systems and software, but they use for their collating Optech software, which is owned by Dominion. So even though they make a big point about not using Dominion machines, we know for a fact that they stole a million votes and probably a half dozen House seats, which is enough to flip it from Nancy Pelosi's four-seat majority to a, you know, other side of the uniparty, which is the Rhinos uh, majority, but at least it would break the, the uh, control of the House. 
And my All right, I've got to take another time out. Sorry, Joseph, I got to jump in here. We uh, we have a break here. We'll come back and uh, and discuss further. Joseph A. Olson, the uh, senior fellow co-founder of Principia Scientific International, and uh, more of our conversation in just a few minutes. Stay with us. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. All right, we are back with Joseph Olson, co-founder, senior fellow at Principia Scientific International. Go to principia-scientific.com, principia hyphen scientific.com you mentioned it's going to take a kind of a groundswell of of people pushing back what about in the scientific community are you starting to see cracks are you starting to see enough people waking up who are willing to stand up and speak out no matter the cost whether it might mean you know losing tenure or or losing their position entirely well, there's there's an enormous number of doctors that are pushing back at this point, you know, because they're actually on the front line and they're dealing with the patients. So that's a really hopeful sign. And then, like I was mentioning, um, you know, this is a broad-scale fraud, and the biggest fraud at this point, in addition to the COVID, which is life-threatening, but another huge fraud that's about to be exposed is the election fraud that we had. And that's, uh, there's two documentaries that so far that have been produced by Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy. One is Absolute Proof, and the other one is Absolute Interference. He says in Absolute Interference, they flipped a million votes in Texas, which I don't doubt. But he's having a, a cyber symposium August 10th, 11th, and 12th in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, and it's open for, I think, as many as 5,000 IT specialists. So you have to get approved to get in, but then it will be broadcast live, and it will be a, a multi-hour presentation on the 34 terabytes of captures that they got of information packets going from Dominion collating machines in America out to domestic and foreign adversaries where the numbers were altered and sent back. So they've got real-time data in exactly how the electronic theft of the election happened, and they've got plenty of evidence on the physical paper ballots. So that's going to be pretty much of a ground-shaking ground event if we uh, have the first time ever. You know, it was, it was ground-shaking when when Nixon resigned, and it was ground-shaking when Agnew resigned, and it was ground-shaking when, you know, a whole bunch of other... Uh, we've had nothing but minority elected presidents because they've had less than 50% in half the elections in the last century in the United States. So we have a defective political system. Anybody that wants to understand how things actually work needs to read a book by G. Edward Griffin called The Creature from Jackal Island 
which is about the formation of the Federal Reserve and the banking system. Oh, we've talked about it many times on this yeah, program, and and, and uh, had G. Edward on as well. Yeah. Oh, he's a he's a wonderful man. Really, I've, I've watched a bunch of his videos. I'd love to meet him in person, but I just haven't been able to get to his events. They're too remote from my location. But anyhow, yeah, that's that's the underlying problem. And you know, when I was in college, they required us to take a course in economics, and I thought, you know, why does an engineer need to take economics? Okay, great. And so we walk in the first day of class, and the the instructor says, well, I'm going to explain to you in simple terms the um, the concept of supply and demand. Two guys get washed up on a deserted island, and they have nothing. And they they agree that one of them's going to go one direction around the island, and the other one's going to go to the other, and they'll meet on the other side and share what they find. So they walk around the island, they get to the other side. One guy's got a briefcase with a million dollars, and the other guy's got two bananas. What's the price of a banana? And so if if you have a printing press that can produce an infinite amount of money and you can put that in the stock market and you can put that in your selected uh, uh, high-tech industries and your social media platforms and you can pump up those stocks and, you know, you can basically manipulate everybody in that portion of the system then you have a system that's inherently defective, and that system is going to have to have to fall at some point. So I always was worried about Armageddon, the end of the world. But actually, Armageddon is the end of the world as you knew it. And the world that we knew was a fairy tale, and the world that we now know is evil and corrupt and despotic. And so we need to end the world as as we knew it. We need to we need to have a reset, but we don't need to have the reset that the World Economic Forum has planned for us. That's right. We need to create our own great reset. Absolutely right. I've been saying that for quite a while. Um, what what is the great re- reset that Mr. Schwab uh, imagines for us? I mean, you know, obviously he outlines it in in his book. Uh, but for those who hasn't who haven't read it, I mean, we hear things uh, coming out of the World Economic Forum like you will own nothing and you will be happy. Um, another report came out and said that uh, this was actually from the University of Leeds in England. In order to because here's the uh, you know along with COVID the uh, the other twin uh, is is you know global warming climate change. And I, I sincerely believe that we will see lockdowns in some form or another uh, in order to forestall climate change. That's coming next. That's why I say this is a beta test. Wait till uh, people see what you know is just around the corner. Um, but in this University of Leeds study, they talked about a family of four. If we're going to stop global warming in North America, a family of four will have to live in basically stacked housing about – uh, 500 square feet for a family of four. Uh, your travel will be severely restricted um, to something like 3,000 miles every three years. Uh, and on and on it goes. This is what they're setting us up for. Do you think that, do you, do you believe that there will be climate change lockdowns in our near future? Oh, yeah. And that's based on a complete total fraud. And, you know, I've written up almost 100 articles, uh, 60 at Canada Free Press where probably half of them cover 
the global warming carbon forcing fraud. But I want to flip the script on these people. I want to tell them, uh, I'm sorry, World Economic Forum, you will own nothing and we will be happy. So there, we're going to take all of their money. Uh-huh. Amen to we're, that. We're going to declare all of their uh, funds as ill-gotten gains, and we're going to, you know, uh, take their seize their pirate ship and distribute it things equitably. And Trump had an executive order on that that anything that had been done through fraud, um, you could seize their assets. So you know, we've got these guys big time, and I'm. <laughs> I'm no supporter of demagogues. I went to the Trump rally in Houston at the Toyota Center. It seats 18,000 people. They had 80,000 requests for tickets. I knew that it was not going to be get a ticket and you're in. It was going to be first come, first serve. I got there at 10 o'clock in the morning. There was 3,000 people in line. And they were the happiest people I've ever been around. We were singing songs. Everybody was talking. It was just really cheerful. I took some of my material about 911 and explained it to hundreds of people. And I only had like three people go, I don't want to believe that. It's like, well, okay, don't. And then inside the rally, it was great. And then when he did a rally in 2019 in Dallas, I went to the American Airlines uh, arena, and it holds 22,000 people. There again, same problem, 100,000 tickets. I got there at 7 o'clock in the morning. There was already 500 people in line. I've been to three Rolling Stone concerts, and I tell you, the energy level at a Rolling Stones concert was not well, not as much as the energy level at a John, Donald Trump rally. So I went for those reasons, not because I'm uh, a amazing, fan. Amazing. It, you know, because the guy did enormous amount of damage in a lot of areas. I didn't agree with his um, bombing of Syria twice because... His daughter came in and found a picture of a dead baby, even though she couldn't find one of dead babies in Palestine or Gaza or Libya or, you know, uh, Iraq or Afghanistan or any of the other uh, adventure wars we've been having for the last two decades. And so I disagreed with, and I disagreed with a lot of the policies and the CFR people that he surrounded himself with. You know, Goldman Sachs and the, his whole cabinet was riddled with with um, special interest folks. And so... Well, when you, know, you come to Washington without a Rolodex, unfortunately, <laughs> that's going to happen. Uh, we'll take another time out. We're going to open up the phone lines, questions and comments for Joseph A. Olson from Principia Scientific International, 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about anywhere, 866-740-4740. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Just a heads up, we seem to be having some issues with our Uh, software that allows us to put callers on the air so we may not be able to take phone calls but if you if you happen to be in the uh, the zoom the zoomer radio uh, live chat and you have a question please uh, submit that in my live stream producer Ryan will forward that to me 
but we are not live streaming on my channel, Strange Planet, uh, tonight. All right, back to my conversation with Joseph A. Olson, co-founder and senior fellow with Principia Scientific International. And the website, again, is principia-scientific.com. Principia, that's P-R-I-N-C-I-P-I-A, principia-scientific.com. How many, uh, how many members do you have at Principia Scientific International? Uh, I think it's about 6,000 at this point, um, but we're getting way over a million views per month which we had a real sudden jump back um, last fall. I think our coverage of the um, pandemic actually really boosted our readership quite a bit. And we put out usually about 10 articles per day that we research online. And like I said, it covers a wide variety of stuff. And, And it's a very interesting site to go to if you just want a daily update on 10 different things happening in science. But lately, well, I, we've concentrated I, probably a third or a half on the COVID thing because it's it's critical for human future. I hesitate to ask this because I don't want to give anyone in authority any ideas. But how is it that you you have, haven't been taken down? Oh, we have been taken down. Uh, we had to go to a different server. And so I don't know how we're in a server right now that hasn't been attacked. But we were banned by Facebook last February, and we've been banned. You, you can't even put the term Principal Scientific on a website and not have it bounce back. And we were actually banned by Alan Watts, who's the owner of What's Up With That website, which is you know, everybody's go-to site for climate stuff. But he's a lukewarmist, and he actually banned uh, he he did an auto ban on his WordPress, and so if you put in a comment and you use the word faux science or slayers or um, principles scientific or electric universe, he had like eight or ten words and phrases that were auto deletes. And he said, if you put these in any of your comments, they I won't even have to reject it; it'll be automatically rejected. So that's the level of debate among somebody who claims to be a skeptic. And this was back in 2011. So, you know, it's, it's not like there's, there's a monopoly on monopolizing things. It's, it's across the board, and it's certainly been heavy in the earth sciences. It's really disturbing. You know, we've got people that are really, really smart at our universities, but the problem is they're so compartmentalized and almost everything is a dual-use technology. So when you develop something with the potential of being wonderful, it can also be evil, and we don't have anybody to control the, the evil uses of these things. You start reading through the funding of the, what the CDC and the NIH and the FDA have been funding, and it's absolutely outrageous what DARPA's been funding. I mean, they admitted that Lyme disease came from ticks that they brought into um, Long Island and grew in a uh, bioweapons lab and then released them to see what would happen. I mean, is this really the kind of activity we need to have our governments engaged in? Uh, it's just, it's a shame that we don't have 
people with with a greater moral standard and a, and a love of civilization and humanity in charge, or at least in a position of, of review and exposure. You know, I mean, it's like, hey, these people are doing evil. Look at what they're doing. But at this point, we're you know we're we're limited by by the ever decreasing amount of of influence that we have. I mean, you know, the thing about truth is it's self-resonating. So when you say something that, that people can understand in a coherent form and the evidence supports it, then it's like, oh, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's obvious. And that's the wonderful thing about science. It's quantitative, it's predictable, and it's repeatable. And so if you have a scientific equation, anybody in the world can test it, and if it doesn't work, they can say, no, it, it, it's close, but it's not there yet, or it doesn't work at all. But now we Except now we hear, Joseph, where, now, we hear, now we hear all the time, the science is settled. The science is settled. We hear it about climate change. We hear it about the pandemic. The science is settled. That's that's such an anti-science thing to say. The science is never settled. It's absolutely antithetical. You, you can't have settled science. It quits being science once it's settled. I mean, we can we can pretty much agree that gravity is is not just a good idea. It's a law. But you know, beyond certain basic principles. You, you don't have the, the flexibility of saying that everything else is that you can extrapolate from what is known provable physical science is justifiable. And that's the problem, you know. So and Can we trust the peer-reviewed system anymore? Oh, I have absolutely zero trust in it. Yeah, um... Let's let's pick up on that on the other side, Joseph. We've got a, this was a short segment. Publishing We're going to take companies a, are owned by by a group of monopolists. All right, we'll uh, pick up on that point on the other side. Joseph Olson stays with us for a few moments yet. We'll also dip into the uh, the live chat and take some questions. Uh, Sigma Six has one as well. We'll get to that. Stay with us right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. So, Joseph, just before the break, I was asking you about the peer-reviewed process and whether you trust it. And you said not at all. There are 2,400 peer-reviewed journals. And how many – they're owned by how many companies or how many – there's six, there's, there's six companies that own 2,400 publishing companies. They own like 1,500 radio stations. They own 9,000 radio, radio stations, 1,500 TV stations, 1,500 newspapers, and they produce 95% of the entertainment uh, media. So bottom line is you have, have well, it was six, and then, then there were some mergers. So now there's just five corporations worldwide that have virtual octopus control over absolutely everything that has to do with with um, information. Does that include so, the peer-reviewed journals, though? Yeah, includes all. Yeah, includes all of them. Yeah, I used to be a big right. reader. Yeah, the Popular Mechanics is owned by Hearst Corporation. 
I used to read yes. Popular Science. It's owned by Bonner, B-O-N-N-E-R. Those people have been were one of the original group that went to Bilderberg's, and they own like fifty publications. All right, let's go to the uh, the live chat. Sigma Six asks, "What are the long term effects of taking the vaccine? Re this blood clotting." Well, blood clotting is just one of the things. The antibody enhanced um, disease is going to be a big problem. That's where your body actually starts attacking itself. When the RNA starts manufacturing spike proteins and it starts manufacturing them out of every cell, then you're going to have your body is going to say, well, gee, we've got a whole bunch of these spike proteins. We need to attack them. And so that's when your own body is going to have a cytokine storm and start killing your own organs. So that's estimated when you're when you're confronted with the live disease after you've you've been vaccinated. And that's what the, happened with all of the test animals that they showed an antibody response. And then after they were confronted with with the wild virus a month or two later, then they had an uh, antibody uh, enhanced reaction, and that's what caused them to die. So that's one. These were the threat these were the ferrets in the uh, these were the ferrets in the, um, the the animal study for SARS-CoV-1, right? Yes, and and also with the MERS and Ebola. So they've been trying this stuff for a long time. They just haven't been able to pull it off. Did you hear about this Chinese professor? who is uh, associated with the Communist Party. I mean, you can't get anywhere in Communist China unless you are, you know, a party member. And he, back in, uh, in I guess it was February, March, maybe April of 20, 2021, he said that um, China has won a the bioweapon war against the United States, basically admitting that this was all uh, pre-planned, and and that this this virus was directed at the West. Do you, do you, do you remember seeing that uh, that quote from this individual? Nothing has been made of it in the mainstream media. Well, yeah, because they want you to think everything's just an accident, and that they're you know trying their best to help us. You know, it's like whatever. No, I, I had read that, and it's it's consistent with what all the evidence is at this point. And certainly the fact that they manufacture about 90% of our pharmaceuticals at this point. We've offshored absolutely everything. And when the, well, what they don't manufacture, they manufacture components for. So they've got the ability to infect us in enormous numbers of ways. And... Why anybody would would trust a system like this is beyond me. So, all right, uh, back to the uh, live chat questions. GBGN one asks, "What is your opinion, Joseph, on there being a designed cure antibody to this fax?" Hmm. Um. I think the people that that actually are at the top of the pyramid have avoided giving themselves this particular uh, therapy. And so 
they're not going to have to have a cure, but there probably are cures for some of the symptoms, certainly. And then some of these things uh, appear to have, like the graphene, appears to have a limited life cycle. And so if you can find a way to overcome the... um, And there again, we've got the uh, herpetin and biomelanin and uh, N-acetyacetine, which is called NAC, which is a... um, uh, breaks up protein so it can break up the spike protein and then these are enzymes um, naturally occurring in our body well or they're occurring in the environment you know the thing is plants have to deal with the same thing that we do in the way of threat vectors from mold fungus bacteria and viruses so they develop chemical defenses to them for their own health and so you know there are naturopathic things and and they're saying that if you drink um, pine needle tea that it can actually reduce the spike protein shedding and formation and so there's there's probably things that are are going to be system treatments and they may be able to prolong life and they may actually in some cases be able to uh, completely reverse the effects and some of the effects the problem, though, is when you're introducing something that's gene splicing, that's affecting your family tree forever. So if you're one of the ones that got the mRNA, and that, that includes the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, but the Johnson Johnson is an adenovirus vaccine, but basically it, it's messing with your gene system, too. It's just doing it in a different way. So none of these things are safe. None of them should have been approved. And... It'll just be time tells whether we're able to deal with the symptoms and and, and reduce the amount of uh, adverse reactions that people are having. But the best thing is to just avoid this completely. And interestingly enough, they played an Ontario commercial for free vaccines. Just go to the government and get one <laughs> while, while we were in commercial break. It was hilarious. There you go. Uh, Solar Warden asks, Joseph, I think you you mentioned this actually in hour one, but let's just uh, repeat it, uh, the answer. Do you suspect the recent hacks on critical infrastructure such as the meat processing industry or the gas industry were attacks from within, so to speak? You, you mentioned that earlier, so if you want to sort of repeat your answer on that. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, WikiLeaks re- uh, released information on Vault 7, which is a CIA program where they could hack anybody and then leave fingerprints to make it look like it came from somewhere else. So virtually everything that came as a as a Russian hack had questionable origin. And then Russia has set up their Internet system where they don't require IPS addresses. And so if you're a hacker anywhere in the world and you want to hack into a system, you go through Russia and then you've erased where your original source was coming from. And the hack on the East Anglia climate gate scandal back in uh, November of 2009 where they got access to 225,000 emails 
and they they released about 2,000 of them, which were really damaging to the climate cause. And I thought, boy, this is the end of it. But they claimed that was a Russian hack. And then actually somebody later took credit and said, no, it actually came out of Romania, just went through Russia on its way into the East Anglia University. And then others have said it was an inside you know, download similar to what they're saying happened with Seth Rich and the, the DNC information. So, you know, there again, we've got a limited amount of information, so everything ends up being speculation. But uh, I would suspect that if you're being paid in Bitcoin, that the hackers are not sophisticated enough to be able to arrange that large a payment that wouldn't be tracked somehow. So I would expect that it was a state player that did it, and, you know, that probably the people at Colonial were in on it, you know, so. Interesting. All right. Well, Joseph, thank you for uh, for hanging out the last two, year, uh, two hours. Always insightful. And again, we'll uh, direct people to uh, Principia Scientific International, or PSI for short, Principia-Scientific.com. Principia-scientific.com or just go to strangeplanet.ca and if you click on Joseph Olson's name, it'll take you right to the website. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. I always appreciate uh, your time. Oh, delightful. Enjoy talking to you and your audience. All right. Thank you. We'll talk again soon, I hope. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to uh, Carlos and Ryan back next week. It'll be a repeat program as I'll be doing coast to coast. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.